So what I'd like to do over the next seven to eight weeks, I want to focus on Christ through the Gospel of John. You know, I've said before, the Gospel of John is one of the most unique, actually it is the most unique gospel and one of the most unique books in the Bible. The whole purpose of the Word of God is for us to believe in the Messiah, to believe in the Savior. The whole entire purpose, the sole reason that the Gospel of John was written was, those, was so that people would believe. So when John wrote the Gospel, he didn't focus on the works of Jesus like the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels because they share so much so many similarities together. The Gospel of John is completely different. 90, they say, 93%. So let's conservatively say just 90% of the book of uh, Gospel of John, it is new. It's not contained in the other Gospels. 90%. That means most of what you read in the Gospel of John is, is untold anywhere else. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke... They magnify the work of Christ on earth. His, 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 his miracles, his, the things that he did. Most of the periscope of those three Gospels are at the work of Jesus. John does something completely different. And obviously the reason he does it is because of the Holy Spirit leading and guiding him what to write and how to write. But the Gospel of John... It periscopes. In other words, it focuses on Jesus himself. And I think as a church, as a Christian, and, and really as our world, the thing that will heal us, help us, teach us, guide us, encourage us, lift our, our spirits, keep our eyes focused on the right things, is that when we lift up Jesus Christ. So, over the next seven out of eight Sundays, because one of those Sundays... Uh, I won't be preaching, but seven out of the next eight Sundays, we'll, we will be studying the book of signs. Uh, Pastor, you just said we're going to be studying the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, in the first 11 chapters, is also known by theologians and others as the book of signs. And I'll explain more of what that means, the signs means, a little bit later in the message. But in chapters 2 through 11 in the Gospel of John, I will show you that the entire focus of John's ministry in the, in the Gospel is Jesus Christ. The whole purpose of this study is to magnify the Savior. It is to make Him the emphasis. And so throughout our summer, when there is so much that takes our mind, Many of you will be going on holidays. The Pierces are, are leaving Wednesday to go on holiday and be gone for a couple of weeks. Others are, are, are planning what they will do and looking forward to, you know, having uh, time at the seaside and, and, and just all the wonderful things that you do during the summertime. And as that is taking time of our minds and our thoughts, I want us to make sure that we focus those thoughts on Jesus, that we want to see him in all his glory and to understand through the word of God who he is. Because ultimately, John being written so that we would believe. And, and you know, you might say, well, maybe that's, 
maybe John has written this book to those who don't know Christ personally as their Savior so that they can believe. Yeah, you're right. But not just them, but for Christians too. For, so that we can believe and so that we can understand in greater depth who our Savior is. Don't ever stop thinking that, that we are not to continue to grow in our belief in Christ. The Bible tells us that the Word of God it, it has been given to us so that our faith may grow. And that's taught to us in Romans 10.17. So, for just kind of uh, knowledge purposes... Let me give you the signs or the miracles that we are going to study over the next, basically, two months. Today, we're going to study the first of all of Jesus' miracles. And that is the miracle of turning water into wine. But John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. So that first sign is water into wine. The second sign would be a little bit later in John chapter 4 when he heals the nobleman's son. And then after that, Christ moves to the pool of Bethesda and he heals the man that had no one to help him into the water. And the fourth sign, one of the most wonderful of all signs, would be the feeding of the 5,000. That sign... That, that work that Jesus did there branched off into the, one of the greatest messages that divided people who were on the edge of following Christ. And that would be in John chapter 6 when Christ talked about being the bread of life. Our fifth sign would be when Jesus sent his disciples out in the boat and they went out into the boat and the storm raged. And then a little bit later that evening, Jesus came and walked on the water. That is the fifth sign. The sixth sign would be the healing of the blind man who was excommunicated from the synagogue because he, would fall, because he followed Jesus Christ. And then the seventh and the last sign that John speaks of in this first part of the book of the gospel is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now we simply look at those as miracles, but John doesn't. John looks at them as signs. And we need to ask ourselves, why? What does that mean? Let's read our text together this morning, and then we will pray for God to help us in the message. John chapter 2, verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And there were set six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. In, in English, that's about 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tested the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when the men have well drunk, then that which is worse." 
but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and we want to come humbly. We, come, we want to come yielded. We want to come, Lord, open to your, your spirit and your power to, to so deeply move within us, God, that we, we would be as if it were 2,000 years ago. As your disciples sat around your feet in those rooms, those upper rooms, in those seaside times where you, where you taught the word of God to them, where, where you would go into the temple, Lord, and people would surround you and be at your feet and hear the word of God and wonder with amazement how, as an unlearned man, can he teach with such wisdom and power? Well, Lord, they found out it was because you are the Son of God. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we would be, as it were, like that, as if we were sitting at your feet at the temple or in the synagogue or on the Sea of Galilee, and that we would hear clearly what you are saying to us as your people. Oh, God, in Jesus' name, amen. This is the celebration. I mean, this is a, this is a wonderful time that the Lord has been invited to. They went to a wedding. Anybody like to go to weddings? Yeah, my wife says, I see a few hands. I like weddings. Now, I don't like weddings for necessarily the ceremony, because sometimes they can be quite long, can't they? But I like, I like weddings for the excitement and for the food. Joking aside, I like weddings because they are a symbol of God's work, His salvation, and His glory. But I, I do like weddings for excitement. I remember Lisa and I went to one of my cousin's weddings years ago. It was a massive wedding. They, I think hundreds of guests were there, and they had all the bells and whistles, and, and my thing is bothering me here, and, and all the things going on. But the most exciting thing about this wedding was when Drew and his bride were, were standing up there, and I think, I think they were lighting the unity candle or something, and man, they took unity to the far extreme. Not only did they light the candle on fire, they lit his bride's veil, and I think her hair on fire, and went, boom! And I'm just standing there going, wow, look at that. And everybody else is screaming and hollering. And, and very, I think, very manly uh, Drew, you know, patted out the fire on his bride. And, and we went on. And then the food was wonderful later. But the weddings are great, except for her and my family. There's no weddings in my family. You know, we're just going to stay the way, that, stay the course. But you've been to weddings. Now, Jesus was at this wedding with his disciples. But in reality, do you know what? They, 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 they added Jesus later. Jesus was not one of the main guests in the wedding. You can tell by the story. You know, they weren't flocking around him. Christ had only brought a few of his disciples with him because not all of the disciples had yet been called. At this time of the story, we're probably only about a week away from the time that Jesus walked down a road in southern Israel near the Sea of Galilee, where John was baptizing, and John spoke those words, Behold, the Lamb of God. We're just a week from that. His, who he is has just now recently been presented to those 
around him. And, and it's just now that he's starting his ministry. This is the very first miracle that Jesus performed in, in, in him in those three, three and a half years that he was preaching that he's come to save the world. Why is it here? Why, are, why is the very first miracle the miracle of turning water into wine? I've always looked as, at this as some kind of lesser miracle next to the more amazing ones. I mean, hey, feeding thousands of people with just a, a few loaves of bread and a couple fish. And, you know, the Bible calls it the feeding of the 5,000, but it actually wasn't the feeding of the 5,000, was it? It was 5,000 men plus women plus children. Some estimates, and these I think are the, 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 the greater estimates, some estimates have it at about 20,000 people that could have been there near the Sea of Galilee where Jesus fed, fed those people. It, you know, whether it was 20,000 or 15,000, five loaves of bread and two fish would not feed without a miracle the people that are sitting in this room today, would it? You, th you look at this water into wine, you think, man, it's nothing like the feeding of the 5,000s or, or raising Lazarus from the dead or healing the blind man that all his life he couldn't see. Then all of a sudden, for the very first time, he saw light, he saw color, he saw his family. And yet, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had John write about this, the very first miracle. Man, there weren't even that many people to see it. At best, there's probably a hundred, maybe a couple hundred people at the wedding, but it was probably quite small. It was simply a wedding. There was not a whole lot uh, of people around compared to the more public view of most of the miracles that Jesus performed. You know, oftentimes, Jesus would say, hey, don't tell anybody I healed you, you know, because it would create such a fuss. And yet, in this setting, one of the greatest of all miracles that Jesus ever performed, he now performs it at this little wedding. Why did John, though, because I want to get you to understand, why did John use the word sign and not miracle? You think, oh, it's not much of a difference. It's just maybe different wording. It means the same thing. Yeah, it does mean the same thing, but it doesn't mean the same thing. See, to understand between the difference of sign and miracle is very important. But you wouldn't see it at first unless you really looked into it and tried to understand the mind of God, the mind of John, the purpose of this writing of, of the gospel. John used, in verse 11 in our text this morning, John used the word sign. Let's look at it together so we can understand. The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And his glory was manifested in his disciples believed in him. The word sign. It's so much ne needed to be understood. What does a sign do? Anybody? What's a sign do? It points to something, doesn't it? A sign points to a, often a destination. You know, you go into the tube, you see signs all the time. Signs that say this train goes towards Upminster, or this train goes towards Kew Bridge, or this train goes toward Ealing Broadway. Or if you get onto a, onto a road, a motorway, an A road or something, you see signs all the time, and those signs are pointing to a destination. In this instance, 
The sign actually points to a person. It points to Jesus Christ. See, John didn't want to emphasize the miracle over the one who performed the miracle. Sometimes we, as human beings, we can emphasize the lesser over the greater. And when we do that, we lose and we miss out the, the truth and, and the essence of what we're trying to see. See, commentators say of this sign of turning water into the wine, listen to what they say. The positioning of this sign in the Gospel of John obviously is of crucial importance because it is not merely intended to be the first of such miraculous events, but also functions. This sign of turning water into wine functions as the head, the clue, the key to all of the other signs of Jesus. The one who understands this sign should understand the point of all the signs that are to come in the book of John. So, to my delight, I've learned that this was not simply water into wine. This is not simply, you know what, Jesus may, he can do stuff because he can turn water into wine. It's more than that. The miracle is not the emphasis from the beginning, and we'll see in a moment, from the beginning of when Jesus' mother comes and asks him to help in this wedding feast, from that very moment, Jesus begins to turn the attention from the wedding, from Mary, from the wine, from the drink, and from the miracle. And it points to something so greater, so much greater than the miracle itself. It points to Jesus. This sign lifts up Christ. It magnifies who he is. It brought people to a point of belief in Christ. Everything about this story is to lift high Jesus Christ. So, let's get into it. The Bible says very quickly, on the third day. You know what? I believe that everything in the Bible is of importance. Every book, every word, every chapter, every verse... Everything that God has given to us in this book right here is of importance. I think a lot of times, you know, everybody has their favorite book, don't you? My, my favorite books are probably John, Acts, Genesis. I like Philippians, uh, a Peter. I'll go on, probably end up with every book being my favorite book. But I'm sure you have a favorite book. What, anybody's favorite book out there, what is it? I'm going to make you talk. I won't move on and you'll be here past dinner time. Somebody tell me your favorite book. Mark, thank you, April. Anybody else? Genesis. One more. Exodus. See, see, Teresa, she likes that God coming down in power going smash. <laughs> Lots of favorite books. But you know what? When you read in John chapter 2 on the third day, what's that mean? Do you know who the truth is? From the third day from what? From the third day from when? The third day from where? Now, nobody really knows why God put the third day in there. Some possibly think that it means that three days after Philip and Nathaniel had become disciples of Jesus, maybe? Or perhaps three days after Jesus' departure from the place of his baptism, which was in the desert there with John. The exact reason seems unimportant, but we should note 
that less than a week went by between Jesus' appearance in the desert when John said, Behold the Lamb of God. I think what John is doing there with that statement three days later, he's trying to draw our attention to the fact that the, the, the greater emphasis here is not what has been done, but who is doing it. John has already announced he's God's Lamb. He's God's Savior. He's God's payment for sin. And so John says three days later that this Lamb of God came into Cana of Galilee. There was a wedding. Man, weddings in that day were very different than the ones in our day. Those weddings back in the time of Christ, they would last anywhere from one to two weeks. Could you imagine, Patrick, paying for a, a daughter for a wedding for your girls that would last almost two weeks, and you'd have to feed everybody at that wedding, provide them drinks, maybe even provide a place to stay? Wow, what a cost to that. So when they prepared a wedding, when they had a wedding, they prepared and they worked and they expected, everybody expected to be well taken care of. And if you were not well taken care of, especially if there was not enough to drink, that was a social disaster. <laughs> you and I wouldn't think, uh, we don't think of it this way, but if you had, you were the head of the wedding, the master of the wedding, and you were in charge of making sure that all the food was there, all the drink was there, everything was done, and it got messed up and you didn't have enough, not only would you be socially under shame, but you know what? That would be attached to the bride and the groom throughout their lifetime. Oh, yeah, you, you, you got married, but what a disaster that wedding was. You ran out of wine. I mean, you and I, we don't get it, but that's exactly what the thought here was. So what happened? Jesus' mother came to the Lord, and they said, she said, they have no wine. Why would she do that? Well, she was looking for Jesus to do something so that shame would not be brought onto the family. Apparently, some of the reasons why we think she asked Jesus was, one, she knew who he was. And she knew he had power to do whatever needed to be done. Also, we think that Mary probably was involved in the wedding of some way. And because Jesus seems to be an added guest, him and his disciples, that it could have been that them being there would have taken more food, more drink away. And so she's thinking, well, maybe because you're here, this is why we don't have enough, so would you help us out? And we don't know why, really, but the point is this. There was a great need, and Mary, Jesus' mother, went to him and said, they are out of drink. They are out of wine. The emphasis, son, please do something. What's Jesus' response? Kind of strange response if you think about it. He says to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. There are two statements in this, in this verse that, that, are, that you need to, that are striking. He says, what does this have to do with me? Now, you and I don't understand that. We think it's kind of rude, don't we? But you've got to remember what Jesus came to do. He says, what does this, running out of wine, 
have to do with why I'm here? He says in the next part of the verse, to clarify that, he says, my hour has not yet come. My time to be glorified, my time to let the world know who I am has not yet come. Reading, you would think, Lord, you're being so very hard, but we really need to see what he's saying here. What does that term mean? And I'm building this up because I want to leave you with something so very important. What does this mean? Is it important to understand? By all means. Here's what Jesus was saying. This is not my realm. This is, why I'm, this is not why I'm here. I'm not here to fix everybody's social problem. I'm not here to make everybody's life easy. That is not the purpose of the Son of God. Implying this, that Jesus was to be busy at his father's business. He had come to fulfill his father's purpose, to act on his father's authority, come to do his father's work. He was not being impolite. He was not being rude by calling her woman. As a matter of fact, according to the culture and Jesus' manner itself, it was actually a term of endearment, and it was the very same word that Jesus used when he was hanging on the cross, when he looked to the writer of this gospel, John the Beloved, and he said, John, behold your mom. Mother, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. This was not Jesus being hard. This was the Son of God teaching his mom and the disciples and those there of what he was all about. It is because this is probably the crux of the greatest of all the signs that Jesus performed. Jesus was on a completely different purpose, completely different mission, completely different plan. In Luke chapter 2, let, let me read a scripture that emphasizes this. Do you remember when the Lord was 12 years old? What happened when Jesus was 12? Do you recall? There's only one time in the word of God that actually we see Jesus at three stages of age. Birth, 12, 30 plus years. What happened when Jesus was 12 years old? Yeah. He went to Jerusalem with his relatives. And as a 12-year-old boy, they were, they, everybody else playing ball or playing whatever Jewish kids played back 2,000 years ago. Where did Jesus go? He went off to the temple. A couple days later, man, mom and dad are walking with the family and they're like, where's, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? I don't know. Have you, hey, uh, you seen Jesus? No, no. They go back into the Jerusalem and then a day later they find him in the temple with the, with the priests and the teachers sitting there listening and talking and communicating. And the Bible says this, when mom and dad finally met up with Jesus, why do you seek me? 12 years old, little boy, man, a little bit younger than Jacob. Jacob goes, oh no, little bit younger than Jacob. Can you look at that kid over there? And you can see that's maybe Jesus. No, Jesus is over there. And, and he says, why do you seek me? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Everything about Christ was father. Everything that he did, the whole purpose of his life, was about doing what his father sent him here to do. And on a side note, and I don't know, how, I don't know if it worked like this or not, 
But we know that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit were in, have always been in eternity together, right? They are all eternal. Jesus was there in creation. As a matter of fact, he brought it all into existence. Maybe, and I don't know, just because of my human mind, maybe Father and Son, they communicated together. It wasn't God demanding the Son to go to the world. It was the Godhead in unity coming to the conclusion that they would always go to the world. And Jesus came to this world. And when he got here, from as young as 12 years old, we see that he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew that he was to be about his father's business. So now at the age of 30, there at the wedding of Galilee, Cain of Galilee, when he says to, to Mary, my time's not yet come. Don't you understand what he's saying to her? He's still saying to her, Mom, I'm to be at my father's business. In this gospel of John, Jesus is consistently pictured as responding not to human pressure, but to the direction of God. Every sign, every work, every word that Jesus communicated to the world was from the Father. It was what he wanted the world to see and to have. He wasn't responding to pressure. When he fed the 5,000, he wasn't just simply responding to the need. Jesus knew before it would all take place because he purposed it to happen. And he fed them. The focus of this is not on Mary nor on the miracle, but the focus is turning on to Jesus Christ. For Jesus, it was his first opportunity to work under the Heavenly Father's authority and through the Holy Spirit's power to produce this miraculous sign. Remember, this turning of the water into wine is the first it is the head of all others. Every sign, every miracle is based from this very miracle. The reason Jesus did this is to be shed light through all the other signs and miracles. And the truth is, we don't have all that Jesus ever did, do we? The Bible tells us that the books of the entire world could not contain all that he said and did. He did so much more. But we have what God wants us to know. So, something to help us to understand. To help us to understand maybe why Mary asked Jesus to do this. For 30 years now, Mary's lived in shame, hasn't she? We know that Jesus was virgin-born. Virgin but from the very beginning, the rumors had spiraled around, uh, around where, where he was born, around the family, wherever they went. That, that is a shameful family. For she had that boy Jesus out of wedlock. She was not married yet. And she had that child. And the inference was it wasn't even from Joseph. It would have been from another man. See, there is shame here. And Mary had carried that stigma uh, of Jesus' miraculous birth now for 30 years. It was only natural that she would want some public revelation that her son was who she knew him to be, the very Messiah of the world. But Jesus seemed to be saying, 
what you expect out of this woman is not yet to occur. I am on a divine timetable, and the revelation of my purpose will not happen the way you want it to happen. Her response. You would think when Jesus said, you don't know what's going on here. You know what her response was? Her response was she looked at the servants and she said to them, whatever he says to you, do it. I mean, that is so beautiful. It's such, a, it's such an example to us in our faith as we walk in this Christian world. You, you, in this world as a Christian, we don't often know what Jesus is doing in our life, do we? We don't often know why things happen. We don't often know what's going on. All we can do is walk by faith. And that's exactly what Mary was doing here in the text. Jesus said, you don't understand, Mom. I'm at Father's business. Mary just looked at her son and said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do you know what she was showing? She was showing that maybe she didn't understand everything, but she trusted her son, Jesus Christ. Do you trust the Lord? Maybe you've trusted the Lord in salvation, but are you struggling trusting him in your life? Are you struggling trusting him with the day-to-day things? Are you struggling trusting him because you don't see yet the end from the beginning? Mary was there, and Mary said, just do what he says. And what, then what did Jesus do? Let's read again about the sign. The sign, what Jesus did. Well, in that wedding there in Cana of Galilee, in verse 6 it says, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, the servants that were standing by, he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And so they did. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. What happened there? The servants go and they fill the water pots. But these were not just, these were not wine pots. These were not the jugs that the master of the wedding had already set aside and had been filled with. With, with the juice, with the wine. They weren't that. They couldn't get to those. I think maybe because Mary came to Jesus quietly, almost secretively, so that people in the wedding wouldn't know that they have run out of wine because of the social damage and uh, stigma that it would have brought to the wedding and to her and to the, to the master of the feast and to the couple. So maybe these water pots... They were just sitting there. Let me explain what these water pots were. Do you know what they really were? They were sinks. They were bathtubs. They were wash basins. See, these water pots held about 20 to 30 gallons of water. And what would happen is when the people would come to the wedding, and before they would eat and before, before they would come in, they would wash their hands, probably even wash their feet. Because that was very custom, customary during that time. 
So, you know, could you imagine coming uh, coming to D's house? I, I've been to D's house. This does not happen at D's house, but I'll pick on you, so she'll forgive me later. Could you imagine going to D's house? And the other day we went there, and man, as soon as you came into the house, you could smell the food from the kitchen. It, it was wafting, and it was awful because I was starving. And I was like, no, nah, i got to sit here and smell all that good food. In the end, she said, oh, would you and Lisa like to have a taste of the soup? Because we weren't there for dinner. We were just there to visit. And she said, would you like a taste of soup? I thought, oh, we'd get, you know, a little. She brings out this barrel of soup in it. And she said, you know, take that. Oh, Dee, that's too much. I don't know why I got on that thing. But could you imagine if we had sat down there for food and, and Eddie came over. Oh, Pastor Steve, wait a minute. Mom, before we eat, let's, let's wash up. And he takes out this. Uh, vials of water, and he begins to wash, you know, pour it over our hands, and, you know, it slops. You get splashes everywhere, and, you know, let's take care of your feet, and he bends down, and he's washing the feet, and, you know, probably splashing into the tip of the edge of the bowl, and, you know, you figure 50 times doing that, how dirty that, that vase might have gotten, and then he goes, oh, you know what? We need a drink at the table. Let, let me go get some juice, and he takes some juice, and he puts it into that same wash basin vase, and then sits it on the table. Who's going to drink out of that? I guarantee you not one single child in my house would drink out of that vase. Man, when we, they can wash their hands, get in the car, get out of the car, go to the restaurant, and the very first word out of my children's mouth when we sit down at the table, hey, Mom, you got any hand sanitizer? They haven't touched a thing. But they want to sanitize their hands. They hate germs. This is what's happened at the wedding. They have taken the sink. And Jesus said, go put more water in the sink. Fill it up to the very brim. And bring it back. They filled up wash pots. In total, they now had about 120 to 160 gallons of wine. Equivalent to about 2,400 glasses. You know what Jesus did? Jesus gave them enough drink to last them for the entire duration of the rest of that wedding. Then he said to the servants to draw some out, take a small bit of it, take it to the master of the wedding for his approval. And they took it to the master of the feast and he had no idea where this wine came from. He had no clue. He probably didn't even realize that they had run out of, of wine. But they brought it to him, and he tasted it, and he drank it, and he said, Wow, this is the best I've ever had. See, most people, when they have a wedding, they, and he's talking to the servants, and he's talking to whoever else there, says, Most people, what have you done to you? This is very strange. You've saved the best for last. You know what happened here? Jesus made the greatest wine that they've ever had in their entire life. It was the absolute best juice that had ever been drank. Please don't miss this. See, this is the whole purpose of the sign. And it goes by so quickly, so effortlessly when you read it. You just glance through that and you move on to the very next in, in chapter 4. The feeding and different things and miracles. And you bypass this sign which is really set forth in the very beginning of the word of God and the gospel of John. To be the greatest of all meanings of signs. How was the wine made? How's wine made? I 
took some time and investigated how they would have made the wine back in that day. You know what they would have first done? They would have planted a vine. It takes somewhere up to about three years before grapes would grow on those vines that could be used to make drink. Three years before there would be viable grapes on the vines. Then what has to happen after the, wine, after the vines become mature enough to hold viable grapes, then as those grapes, they get those buds in, they need water. So the water comes down and it begins to be soaked up by the vines and the vines draw it in and then the grapes draw that in and the plant grows and the grape grows and they soaks it all up and now the grapes are plump, they're juicy, and they're ready. It takes several months for those grapes to get from the point of bud to the point of being picked. When that grape then ripens, it's taken off the vine and pressed. And then they take that juice, and it takes 40 to 50 more days to make it into the drink that they used in that day. That takes some time. From the very time, I mean, if you, if you want to think about it, say, Pastor, well, you know, once the vines are prepared, they don't have to wait the three years. Each season, they would produce those grapes. But you're still talking several months for that, for that vine and dirt and soil and nutrients and water and sun to all come together to make a grape that could be pressed and then turned into a drinkable juice for that day. Many, many months. What's the point? Jesus took the water without vines. Without planting, without ripening, without anything. Without any amount of time except for the time that it took to the servants to fill the pots. And in, an, and in an instant of time, Jesus made the finest quality of wine that had been at that wedding for the entire time. What does this show us? Think about it. What does it really show us? It shows us that Jesus bypasses natural time. Who can bypass time? It shows us that Jesus has power over substance. That he has power over time. See, the point of this sign was this. The sign points not to the miracle, not to the needs of the people, not to the shame that Mary wanted possibly to be covered, but the sign points to Jesus. What this points us to, what this makes us realize is what John said in the very beginning of the gospel. We read it this morning as our call to worship. Would you go with me just back a cup, one chapter to chapter 1 of the book of John and let's read again. What the sign is pointing to. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. 
And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them, he, Jesus, gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but the but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. What does the sign point to? John is telling you that this whole purpose of the sign is to show you that Jesus Christ is the creator God. He takes substance that, and, and turns it into something else. He takes water, turns it into wine. He bypasses time. He bypasses the, the, the nature itself. Why? The only reason Jesus could do that wasn't because he had miraculous power, but because he had the miraculous power because he was and is and shall always be the creator. He is God. Amen? This is the point of the sign of the <clears throat> in the gospel here. Excuse me. This first sign was a sign of transformation. It was a sign of change. It was telling you and I that the only one that can really come into this world and change what is here is God who's the creator. And here he is. His name is Jesus Christ. What happened? What happened from this little miracle? Nobody's there. The crowds of Jerusalem haven't seen him. The throngs of Galilee are not traveling across the, the, the Sea of Galilee on boat to, to find where Jesus was. Man, when his miracles started being uh, told and getting the information out there, you know, they would go from place to place to follow Christ. No wonder he oftentimes wanted to go up into the mountains alone and pray to the Father. Because he was constantly being thronged. You remember when he was in the city somewhere and Jairus had come to him and said, said, would you come and heal my daughter? She's about ready to die. She had actually died. And Jesus started walking through the, the crowd and there were so many people. The Bible says that they were thronging him. They were, they were grabbing him like this and wanting to touch him. And then all of a sudden this lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years reached out in faith. In faith, knowing that he could heal her. And reached out and touched just the hem of his garment. And the Bible says that power flowed out of him and healed that woman. And Jesus stopped as they thronged him. And he said, who touches me? Man, 
Do you get who this man is? He's God. And he has the power of life, of creation in his midst. And when he works, he works beyond the thinking and the knowledge and the understand, understanding of mankind. When we come here this morning and we come to sing who he is and about his power and about his strength, we ought to be filled up with joy and reverence and holy awe of the one that we worship because he is not just simply a man. He is God the creator that has proven that to us. But I've not seen any miracle. We do not need to see what God has told us about in his holy word. This has been written so that we would believe. The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. And he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Remember, this action is identified, is identified as a sign by the apostle. You know what he's saying? He's saying this, this miracle in chapter 2 of turning water into wine, that points you to Jesus. That tells you. He is God. That tells you who he is. Man, the world can tell us all day long that he is not what we believe him to be. Do not believe the world. Believe what God has said. Believe how he set out in the gospel of John these seven miraculous signs. And each sign tells us something more about this Jesus who we believe in. And, G and John tells us right here, he is God who creates. He is God that has power to bring life out of nothing. He is the one who, who can change a substance into something different. Isn't that wonderful? Hey, he can take someone that is of the old nature and the old man and change him into a new creation. Why can he do that? Because he's the creator God. And he has power to take and make from, from old to make something new. It is more than just a miracle or a wonder. It is a powerful act for those who have eyes to see. It points to the reality of who Jesus is. It shows that Jesus is able to meet people's needs. The focus of the story is not on the needs but the focus is on what Jesus can do because of who he is. He can create something new from something that does not exist. That's from something that is not. Who can change substance into a new substance? That's Jesus Christ. And if he can do that with water, what can he do with your life? What can he do in your life? How can he change your life? 